Let's say a prayer. Father, thank you for just the many ways you love us, you care for us. Uh, words, even, even song lyrics fall infinitely short of your goodness. And yet, we hope that our time singing together and now as we reflect on your word and just try to learn from it would all be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we long to, to today bring a smile to your face. We love you. Thank you for who you are to us. Lord, we ask for your spirit this time. Would you give us your Holy Spirit as we uh, consider your word and want to learn and grow from it? Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. And while you're doing that, uh, you know, uh, since we're in this series called uh, Hashtag Life Goals, what I thought I'd do this week, uh, first for uh, personal entertainment, but then I was just like, this is too good, i got to share it, uh, was I googled the life goals of little kindergartners. And as you could imagine, some of the results were pretty, pretty darn cute, pretty darn funny. Um, kindergartners, we're talking five, six-year-olds, okay? I mean, rest assured that these you know, little ones were misspelling words as I'm reading them to you. I mean, that, that's how young we're talking about here. Uh, so uh, one of these uh, classes were given the prompt, what are three things you want to do in the future? And this little guy said, number one, get a girlfriend. <laughs> number two, kiss her. And number three, rule the world. <laughs> I think he covered his bases there. Uh, second prompt, another class. When I grow up, I'd like to be, little Toby said, a veterinarian so I can help pets get better. Little Sophia said a baseball player because baseball is fun. Violet said a chef because I like to cook. Albert said a person who stays home and does nothing. Actually, there's another kid named, named David who said, I want to be a fireman since I like explosions and fire. And I thought, if anything, I'm more worried about that guy than, than Albert. Uh, last one, the prompt was, tell us about what you want to do and be when you're 100 years old. This little guy said, when I'm a 100, I will play Uno with my grandchildren. I will wear a sweater all the time. I will take naps every day. I will take my wife to Pizza Hut for dinner. <laughs> you know, in this series, it'd be hard, we'd be hard-pressed to find better life goals than those. <laughs> um, the premise of this series is we all have life goals, uh, but what are some of the exciting and freeing goals that God might have for us? Goals that, you know, that might be so much greater than anything we could hope for or plan for on our own. Uh, so today, what we're going to be doing is, is talking about uh, financial goals. And the reason why I want to focus on that is because if there are things that we have goals in life for, chances are a good chunk of them, if not most of them, are related to finances. And while the Bible has a lot to say about finances in terms of the, the practicals of you know, paying off debt, investment, uh, giving, and all those sorts of things, I actually want to take a different uh, 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 look at this and, and consider what Jesus thinks or at least shows to be in the story we're going to be looking at, the heart of it all, uh, the foundation of it all. Uh, in this story, he's really getting at, at the heart. And in, in this story that we'll read through, uh, we'll find that he is, he is sharing a story in order to shock our systems, in order to give us a bit of a wake-up call. How do I know that? Well, if you look at your Bibles, and you have chapter 16 of, of the Gospel of Luke and you look at verse 8, you'll see that the punchline of his story is to commend a dishonest manager. Wait a minute. Jesus commending a dishonest manager? How could that be? Why would, why would he ever do that? 
well, we're going to look at that. We'll break that down, consider that together. But what I want to say here at the top is consider how Jesus is deliberately telling this story to kind of get our attention. And not just then, uh, for his disciples then, but for his disciples today. So what, we want to, what we're going to see here today is Jesus gives a warning when it comes to our, our kind of financial goals, but also an invitation in terms of a, a get your juices flowing in excitement type in invitation into some things that are, that are really exciting. Uh, we're going to look at that under three headings today. We're going to look at the danger of money, we're going to look at the test of money, and we're going to look at the purpose of money. So the dangers, actually dangers of money, the test of money, and the, the purpose of money. Okay? So first, let's get into the parable. So Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man. Okay, so this rich man is probably meant to represent God, whose manager, who's presumably meant to uh, represent all of us. So there's this rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Uh, what we see here is the manager gets a bit of a wake-up call himself, okay? He'd been living what I imagine to be the, a bit of the sweet life. You know, his boss was always away. He was in charge of the finances, so, you know, he's experiencing and enjoying the independence that that brought, the, you know, the freedom. He probably was pretty well off financially himself, um, but he was taking advantage of the situation and wasting his boss's, his master's possessions, at best, this meant he was lazy, or worse, this meant he was corrupt. Now, we don't know exactly what he was doing. Jesus doesn't really give us those details, but commentators will tell us that based on the culture that Jesus was telling this story into, it's likely he was implying or inferring that this manager was charging his master's clients higher than normal interest and kind of pocketing the rest, um, but, but we don't know uh, necessarily exactly what, what, he was, what he was doing. But Master caught wind of it and called him into account. And here's what, of course, Jesus is saying here in these very first few, few verses to his followers. He's saying, each and every one of you are going to, give an, a, a, you're going to be called to an account in terms of how you manage, how you steward, is another way of saying that word, manage, how you manage, how you steward the resources that God entrusts to you, that he entrusts to me. And he gives us incredible amount of space and freedom to do this as best we can, meaning he's not going to breathe down our necks. He's not, he's, going, he's not going to check in all the time, but he does expect his followers to manage their wealth responsibly, to steward it well, because they will be called to account. So there's a bit of a warning here to take our financial goals seriously, and maybe not in the way that we would necessarily consider or think about it here in, the, in our Silicon Valley culture. Um, okay, pressing forward, Jesus continues his story, verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their, into their houses. In other words, he's motivated by selfishness. You would hope that this guy was remorseful for what he had been doing, but nope, he's just forget the master and thinking about himself, cutting the losses. Verse five, so he called each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. So 800 gallons of olive oil, just for what it's worth, equals probably about 150s worth of trees, um, which uh, we, we know would have been over 1,000 1, denarii worth, which back then one denarius was, was a day's wage. So we're talking over uh, 1,000 days wages here. 
the manager, manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. In other words, cut it in half. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So that would have been probably from about a thousand acres worth of land, 2,500 denarii worth. So about 2,500 days wages. This manager told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, let me just pause real quick and ask you, if you were this guy's master, how would you be feeling at this point? <laughs> you know, how would you be feeling about this dude and what he's doing with the, the, the clients that he had and he was supposed to be stewarding? I mean, can you believe this guy? If you or I were there, we probably would have been livid, right? I mean, this guy is probably losing tens of thousands, more likely hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for, for this master, we probably, you or I, would have looked for every sort of recourse possible to get the money back, probably would have made this guy's life miserable, those sorts of things. That's what makes verse 8 all that more shocking. Because here's how Jesus concludes his parable. The very next thing he says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. End of parable. Jesus commends this guy. Like, what? What's going on there? This guy's a crook. I mean, we're talking about betrayal and those sorts of things. Well, Jesus, of course, being the great teacher that he is, he's being provocative on purpose because he knows we will, we will have a counterintuitive response. Uh, this, this response that he's having here will be counterintuitive for his disciples then and today. Our response, if you're like me at least, is what in the world? Why would he do that? And the reason he wants us to have that kind of response as he goes on to explain why this is actually a good thing, we'll get there in a little bit, hang on tight, is because he wants to show us something very important. And what is that? He wants to show us that, that God has a radically different view towards money than we tend to. Uh, that's the ultimate point of what he's getting at, and we need to understand what that is. Otherwise, you and I would not be shocked. When Jesus commended the dishonest manager for, this, for acting this way, we'd be like, well, duh, okay, of course. But that's probably not a response. Um, okay, let's look at Jesus' teaching to understand what he's getting at, how he wants to shape the way we view finances, we view money. Okay, number one, the dangers of money. Uh, look at verses 13. Uh, and we're going to be looking through verses 15 on this thought. Uh, no servant can serve two masters, Jesus explains. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we see two dangers of money here. The first is we can easily make money our God. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. We can make money into a God of sorts that we serve. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, a German philosopher who, who famously said God is dead, uh, wrote that as society progressed, he said, that we would more and more uh, replace God with money. Uh, here, here's how he put it. What induces one man to use false weights, another to set his house on fire after having insured it for more than its value, while three-fourths of our upper class indulge in legalized fraud? What gives rise to all this? Is it not real want? For their existence is by no means precarious, but they are urged on day and night by a terrible impatience at seeing their wealth pile up so slowly, and by an equally terrible longing and love for these heaps of gold. What once was done, quote, for the love of God is now done for the love of money, that is, for the love of that which at present affords us the highest feeling of power and a good conscience. He's saying, it's his thought that money will replace God in our lives. That's what Jesus has been saying. 
That's what Jesus said long before Nietzsche when he said, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. And again, you cannot serve both God and money. The danger is, one danger here is money can easily become like a God to us. Either, again, verse 13, he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller talks about how there are really two ways that we will serve money. He talks about how we can become lovers of money and how we become trusters of money. Lovers of money, he says, are people who find themselves daydreaming or fantasizing about making money. So one day I'm going to have that, you know, those cabin in the woods. One day I'm going to have that boat and then, and then life's going to be good. I was sharing uh, this message, as I often uh, do with Cindy, and she, she said, oh, you know, this reminds me of a friend who's, who was in this congregation who uh, works at a, a, a company here in the Silicon Valley, of course, uh, that was saying how when it comes to uh, the view of money, there's a CEO at her company that is constantly talking about money, and more specifically about how this high-up uh, high exec who used to be at that same company, went off for like a startup in the IPO and just made tons of money, and how the CEO can't help but stop talking about this exec and how much they're worth now and how much they've made. Meanwhile, the CEO is by far the, most high, the highest earning person at this company. And her thought, which I thought was, was really interesting through Cindy, is that, man, when we were talking about comparison last week, is there's always going to be people who make more, always, and we, we need to be mindful that... If we're lovers of money, uh, Tim Keller says that means that we will become consumed with desire. The second way we can serve money is we become uh, trusters of money. That is, people who feel they have, con- uh, they have control over their lives uh, and feel their sense of security because of their wealth. So in other words, that's to say, as long as your bank account is looking okay when you look in there, or as long as your 401k is okay, as long as your investments, and you know, you, 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 as long as those things, those numbers look good, then life is good. Um, but watch out if anything happens to any of that. Um, if we are trusters of money, we will, become, we will feel threatened. In short, we will be consumed with worry. You know, last week we talked about the comparison trap. It seems to me that it's real easy to fall into that comparison trap when it comes to finances, when it comes, into, when it comes with financial goals, uh, because it can be something that just draws our attention, whether we are consumed with worry or consumed with desire, and it can rob us of our joy. Now, why is that? Why does it have this effect on our heart? Well, Jesus says it's really easy to serve money. It can really easily rule us. It can, like, like a king, we could serve it like a ruler, is, is the wording Jesus is using here. But Jesus is saying these feelings of love and trust need to be directed towards God. In Matthew 22, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in John 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Meaning, he's saying, the only way not to serve money is to put God front and center in our lives. Uh, What he's saying is you can't have both. To to my disciples, he says, you you either have money or you have me. Uh, the second danger of money we see here is that we can easily become blind to its power over us. Um, look here at verses 14 and 15. So this is after Jesus' story and then his conclusions. The Pharisees, that is the religious authorities, who loved money, Luke, the writer here, points out for us, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. 
What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Uh, Jesus is warning them this very real danger when it comes to money. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders who presumably should know better, are not only missing the warning, missing the point, they are sneering at him. That word literally means they are turning up their noses at Jesus. Uh, Jesus, how could you commend this dishonest guy? We know better than you. Uh, here's where this rocks me to my core. The people who should know better are not only missing it altogether, what Jesus is saying, they are justifying themselves. Um, that rocks me to my core because I, it, the lesson here has to mean that we are easily prone to this ourselves, uh, blind to the effects of money in our own lives. I have heard that pastors will uh, do sermon series on like sin. You know, let's say it's like the deadly, you know, seven deadly sins or whatever. And so they'll do a sermon series on sin and they'll say, okay, you know, and they'll plan out this series and have all these different topics. And on the days of topics like lust or hell and judgment, uh, the room will be packed. There'll be a lot of people there showing up to hear the message. Uh, but on days when it's talking about greed, or materialism? Crickets. Hardly anyone there. Uh, why might that be the case? Could it be because we think that it's not actually an issue for us, thinking about greed, thinking about materialism? Uh, one pastor of many years, a couple of decades, in fact, uh, reflected on this. Um, and over, over the years, he, 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 he realized that he had many people coming to him, followers of Jesus, confessing all different sorts of types of sins to him. Like any number or any different kinds. But never once over all those years did he have someone come to say, Pastor, you know, I really struggle with greed. I really struggle with materialism. You know, it really affects my marriage. It's causing rifts in these relationships at work the way I... Never once. Um, you know, we know, in our, we know that our culture struggles with these things. Greed and materialism, right? And yet... Why is it none of us think that the problem is in us, personally? Um, I think that's actually what Jesus is getting at here, is it's really easy to be blind and miss this thing. And so here's, to me, the takeaway as I think about this kind of this thought, is just to start with the posture, start with the heart, that maybe, just maybe, this is the way I view money. <laughs> the way, this is the way I approach money, or at least I'm, I'm prone to approach it this way. Um, to evaluate it with that thought. There's a very real danger with money, Jesus says. Number two, there's, the, there's this test of money. Working backwards, looking at verses 10 through 12, whoever can be trusted with very little, Jesus says, can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling, handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, clearly, the important word here is trust or trustworthiness. It's said five times in two verses. Um, a more direct translation would be faithfulness. And so Jesus is saying the way people use money is, is, is a gauge to see how trustworthy or faithful they will be with what he calls true riches, riches of eternal value in the life to come, but also in this life. So the principle, of course, here is be faithful with what you have. Uh, a few of us got to go to um, the Freedom House Gala a number of years back. We do this every year. A team of us went. 
This is a few years back when Francis Chan was speaking. First of all, Freedom, the Freedom House Gala is a fundraiser for the Freedom House uh, organization ministry that, that um, we've had the opportunity and privilege to support here at Current that, that fights human trafficking in this area, that, that sort of thing. Well, at this year, at that, at this year I'm, I'm referencing Francis Chan, this famous uh, Christian author, was... was talking at this thing. And you need to understand that this is a, you know, a unique thing. It was a fundraising event, and it was you know, him talking to a room full of pretty you know, high-capacity, high, you know, highly-resourced Bay Area leaders trying to say, hey, you know, why don't you give to this, this organization? So he was using different illustrations than he probably would if he was like, talking here as a pastor, which I thought, I thought profoundly interesting. Well, at one point, he, said, he was talking about a story from his past when he was working at a church in, in suburbia L.A., and he was at a church that was, you know, we're talking upper middle class. Everybody in the church drove X, Y, Z, and, you know, we're talking everybody was really well off. And yet he was frustrated that the church wasn't really giving to the community, wasn't really, you know, trying to make a difference in that way. And so his prayer in that season was, God, would you help our people to give? So he prayed, God, help our people to give. And then one day he said, you know what? I want to, I, it just came to me, maybe I'll pray differently. Okay, God, help our people to give or make me really rich. And he like looked at us with this big smile, like, man, where's he going with this? And he's like, guys, and God made me really rich. And it was, it was fascinating because, I mean, you, you know the story from the end. If you know that he's written a number of books, he just, he made a lot of money in that. And it was, it was really interesting. He was getting candid about it and he was sharing with the spirit of you know, like fear as he was sharing this, this not trying to come across, you know, the way that it might seem. He said, guys, and when, when I started making money from these books, I realized, man, there's a real temptation that I'm just going to want to just take this money and do what I want with it for myself. He said, I'm, I'm, what makes me any better? I'm not any better. So he deliberately set up ways, like little systems, accounting systems, so such that the money from his books would never, ever go into any of his accounts. So they would just automatically go. And he, he said, again, with fear and Fear and trepidation is what he's just like, I, I, I can't do it otherwise. Otherwise, boy, I'd start to use this. And I think what an interesting example it seems to me to get at what Jesus is saying is just to start with the posture of, oh my, oh my goodness, if we have a propensity here, it's probably to spend, take care of ourselves more than thinking about others, caring for others in the way that God would want us to think about and steward things towards um, the principle here is prove faithful with some, and God will entrust you with much. Now, quick pastoral sidebar. Jesus is not talking prosperity gospel, okay? What's the prosperity gospel? If you were to turn on your TV at this hour on a Sunday, you would see a televangelist probably looking at this very text and saying, therefore, give to God, be faithful, and he will richly bless you. And by the way, give to my ministry, and this, you can, here's the phone number on the screen. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, you all know that. That's not what this is saying here. It is not saying, hey, let's be faithful and God will hook it up. The emphasis, on, the emphasis is not on, hey, this is what you will get. The emphasis is on be faithful. And by the way, as Jesus is talking about this, the more important of things that we need to faithfully steward on that list of important things, money's not that high. I mean, even the way he's talking about it, he says, if you can't even be faithful with worldly possessions, how can you be faithful with true possessions? You know, of the grand scheme of things that we could be faithful with, Jesus is like, hey, be faithful with money. That's the whole point of this parable I just told you guys. And yet, of all the things you, you need to be faithful with, find, to find yourself to be faithful with the time, the treasure, and, and the talents that God's given you. And just to press this point home, lest we, you know, miss it. Who is the person who is most faithful with what he had? Let's just say for the sake of argument, it was Jesus. Who is entrusted with the most kingdomly riches there 
ever is or would be. Let's just for sake of argument say Jesus. And yet as he walked on the earth, how much money did he have to his name? Next to nothing. So the point is being faithful with what we have. And if that happens, if that's finances, then being faithful with finances and praying that God would allow you to be faithfully steward that and as he gives you more to faithfully steward that um, for his kingdom. I think here's one way we can summarize this thought. Um, one, one pastor um, put it this way. I think this kind of summarizes, summarizes it well, this point at least. Uh, the possession of money in this world is a test run for eternity. Can you pass the test of faithfulness with your money? Do you use it as a means of proving the worth of God and the joy you have in supporting his cause? Or does the way you use it prove that what you really enjoy is things, not God? Okay, so there is the warning. Now we'll move into the wonderful and exciting invitation. Uh, Number three, the purpose of money. Okay, so Jesus concludes his parable. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Like, Like, what? Okay. For the people of this world, he goes on to explain, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, here's the question we've been asking from the beginning. How does Jesus go about commending a dishonest manager? Like, how is that possible? Um, Well, number one, let's notice that he doesn't commend this manager for being dishonest. That's not what it says. And also notice that he calls him dishonest, right? Actually, a literal translation, when he says this dishonest manager is commended, it's actually that word dishonest can mean unrighteous or even flat out wicked, this wicked manager. So Jesus is not letting the guy off the hook, okay? What he is commending him for is not being dishonest. He's commending him for, what does it say? Acting shrewdly. Um, So in other words, Jesus wasn't raising his motivations and how he went about doing these things as, as, you know, this wickedness as, as an example. No, he calls that wickedness. What he's commending him for is stumbling into a value that God has even if he did, it, did so unwittingly. Here to me is really the main thought of this, of this parable, it, it seems to me, is Jesus wants us to value relationships over money. Um, Jesus wants us to value relationships over money. And actually, I would say Jesus wants us to value gospel relationships over money. He cares, God cares infinitely more about people than he does money. And he wants his disciples, his followers, to steward resources towards that end. Now, I said value gospel relationships over, uh, over money. Like, what does that mean? Well, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is talking about viewing money, using money in such a way that we do so for the sake of loving and caring for others especially when it comes to helping people come to know, even put their faith in Jesus. And what I think is really fascinating here is Jesus is saying, disciples of mine, be smart with your money. You know, how's that for a nice little, you know, tweet, if Jesus were to say it? Be smart with your money. Because as a, as a, a son of, of uh, church planners, as a son of a pastor, uh, it seems to me growing up in the church, often what Christians can do is look at money as this like necessary evil. Like, okay, you know, I'm going to use this for what I need to do. I need to invest. I need to take care of this or that. And miss out on the opportunity of using it in the ways that Jesus is talking about here. 
He's saying, don't miss out, invest. He's saying, the people of this world are looking for great ROI, a great return of investment. And so followers of mine look to do the same in terms of true return on investment. Um, be smart with your money for the purpose of loving and caring for others, especially helping people into his kingdom. Now, the Pharisees sneered at all this. Uh, they, they sneered. They're like, this guy's being wasteful with money. He's talking about being wasteful with money. You know what I was thinking about this week? Because I always try to let this kind of like work on my heart before I get up here and talk to you guys about it. I realized, you know what? These guys are sneering. I've sneered when it comes to this sort of thing. Sneered at people using money or the idea of using money and it being wasteful. Like, no, no, no. Let me give you an example. I used to be against postcard mailers. What's postcard mailers? You know, these little things that we send out as a church, you know, for Easter or, or for Christmas. We've done, we've done it a number of times now. I used to be against that. We had a church partner uh, coach say, hey, why don't you guys do a postcard? This is way back in the day. And I was like, oh, no, thanks. And, and he said, you should do this. I said, no, 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 thanks. Like, why not? Well, we just don't have the resources for it. We're a church startup. We don't get rid of What I didn't tell him is I was kind of sneering at that. What I did tell him was, I was like, man, that's wasteful. Why would you spend money on getting word out? We'll just get word out through personal invitation, which, by the way, is very important. All that. You know, and, and by the way, this coach believes in it's very important. I was just like, that's wasteful to just send money at postcards, that sort of thing. Um, he kept coming back to it, and I kept saying, no, no, no. Finally, he came back and he said, look, okay, as a church partner, what if we went ahead in front of the cost for a postcard mailer? Would you do it then? And then I was like, well, I can't say no to that. <laughs> like, like, what am I going to do? Like, on principle, no? Like, I don't know. I was like, yeah, okay, all right. So we did it. People put their faith in Jesus through that first postcard mailer. It's hard for me not to get emotional as I tell you this, but I just, I was sneering at something that, like, ask me how I feel about postcard mailers now. This last round of, bio, of baptisms, how many of them said we had a postcard mail? I'm just like, I used to text this guy, this coach, uh, every time someone put their faith in Jesus through a postcard mailer. I did it so many times. I was just like, you were right, I was stupid, and Finally, he's so cool. He finally just like, he's like, David, you don't have to keep texting me. He's like, hey, this <laughs> Ask Cindy. This is a true story. He's like, you don't need to keep texting. It's God doing it anyways. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's God doing it. Um, which it absolutely is. I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, why do we do these shirts? You've heard me talk about these shirts. Okay, I don't want to go through the whole thing. But like, we need to be, we need to, disciples of Jesus need to be, Jesus wants you to be smart with your money. You guys are killing it. In the Silicon Valley with money, you're, you're stewarding things. You're like, you know, you guys got R&D arms in your companies. You're doing this or that. What about that in our own personal lives or in the church? How can we think about Because, look, it's, it's, I would say this, the, 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 the Pharisees were risking being overly spiritual as they sneered. Oh, that's wasteful. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He wants us to steward it. Now, do we just be flipping about it? Just like, whatever, money, you know? Like, no, okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He wants us to be smart, but, like, but not to just hold and hoard, but to be generous. This is on my notes, so I'm going to try to off-road off, off here for a second. You know, one of the things we did this last Easter as a, as a church was we wanted to be generous with our kids' ministry. The kids' teams did an awesome job. Um, and so one of the gifts they wanted to give uh, the little ones as they came were these, like, squishy toys. Like, these, if you saw them, these are awesome squishy toys. 
not Dollar Tree squishy toys. And, you know, my past self would have been like, let's go to Dollar Tree squishy toy. But these kids were coming out, kids who've never been to church before. Kids who would, you know what I'm saying? Coming out with like, this is so amazing. Now, are we trying to like manipulate fun? No, like, no, no. We want the kids, a vision component of the kids' ministry is that they have so much fun, they can't wait to come back. And so if, if, if being generous and like, you know, putting a budget to get, you know, these nicer toys, yeah, let's do that. You know what I'm saying? So that, what could that look like in your life? What could, have you ever thought of it this way? How could you budget towards valuing relationships? Maybe that's having a budget line. I don't know if you even budget. Like having a line of like, hey, this, um, this is going to be a, a line item set aside for taking people out to lunch. For those of you guys at Google, you're going to have to figure out another one. You got that figured out. You got free lunches. Take it, you know what I'm saying? Like spending time with people or, or as Cindy does so well in my family, you know, it, 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 celebrating and just saying thank you or just, hey, you did a wonderful thing here and just putting something next to that. What if it's having people over and, you know, you, know, the, you live in a townhome complex, apartment complex, and you just have people over and you spot all the, you know, the main dishes or what? You, you hear what I'm saying? It would be easy for me. You know, be like, oh, well, it's just a lot of money. I don't know if it's, you know. It's like just, just being overly generous for the sake of loving people, caring for people, uh, helping people, f- you know, be loved and cared for. Um, how, how could we do that? How could we be smart with, with the finances God has entrusted to us? Because he, wants us to, he values people over money. He wants us to do the same. Jesus is trying to change our paradigm here with this story, our way of thinking when it comes to our finances. Why? Because ultimately, this is who he is. This is what he is all about. The gospel is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's to say, Jesus in heaven had infinite wealth, and if he had held on to that infinite wealth, we would have died in our spiritual poverty. That was the choice, that if he had remained rich, we would have died poor, and yet he gave it all up. Why? So that he could bring us into relationship with them, that he could even call us friends. Jesus valued us over money, over his own life. There's nothing he held on to that we might be in a relationship with him. Um, so there, here's the warning, here's, and here's the wonderful invitation that Jesus, and here are the stakes that Jesus puts out here with this wonderfully rich parable that gets us thinking. Uh, perhaps you're here today, you've never heard the gospel, or at least, at least truly understood what it means, and, and, and you're at a place where, man, the invitation here for you is just to know that God loves you as much as anything, that he gave everything up for you. Not money. He could have, man, God could have done any money and paid. Like, no, no, no. He paid with his life to give you life, to give me life. And you can put your faith in him today. Receive that today. It's just a, it's just a, a word of saying thank you, and I, I receive. And then for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, this is, this is the invitation to you to value relationships over money. How could you do that? How could you be creative about that? How could you be smart about that? How could you be shrewd about that? Um, not in dishonest ways, Jesus wasn't commending that, but in ways that are, that are good and right. I've heard it said, serve not money, but rather make money your servant. I think that's what we're talking about here. May we be found faithful with the resources he's given us, that he's entrusted to us, that he might through us, by his grace, gain more friends unto himself. Uh, 
I can't wait for the party in heaven to think about it in that way, all the faces that will be there. Let's make every effort to join God and to see him work through the resources he's given us to invite as many there. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion together. Father, what an interesting and provocative story that really does get us thinking. But I love how it, like every other story you tell, ultimately points to who you are and what you've done for us. That you valued us over money, over infinite wealth, wealth that we can't even think about, that we can't even get our minds around. You left it without second thought. Why? Because you loved us infinitely more. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, as we come to communion today, uh, we celebrate you and who you are and what you've done for us. And then we pray as a church and as families and as individuals that you would help us in a small way steward our finances in a similar way for the sake of loving and caring others, for the sake of loving and caring others, even to know you and put their faith in you. Thank you that you've brought us together as a family to do these things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.